Still Kirby. Lovely check. Kirby! Hello and welcome to another episode of Fran Kirby's Fight Club. I am Andre Carlisle here to wrap up and discuss the last couple Chelsea results. But of course, we're going to start with the big one, the big one, the big win today. Won't do it on my own. I've got Miriam here with me. Miriam, how are you? I'm feeling pretty boss. I think that's the, I looked it up. I looked at some, I'm being quite mean. I looked up some like some scouse terminology so I can <laughs> really <laughs> That's awful. It's awful, but um. I'm I'm feeling good. I think we were teeny bit worried about this game, um, especially with the the midweek fixture against Real Madrid, Real Madrid, and then flying in at like four a.m. But um, did not expect this. Five goals, one from Maggie Beaver Jones, hat trick from Lauren James. I mean, what what more can you ask? I mean, if you think about it, they didn't really score any of the goals. It was an, the only goal that they got was an own goal from Jess Carter. So um, quite the contrast from what we expected. Yeah, it was it was an unexpected but brilliant performance. I was I was concerned, and we'll talk about the Real Madrid match a little bit later. I, I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to start this episode off as a downer, given what we just watched. So we're gonna save the Liverpool or save the Real Madrid chat for a little bit later. But you mentioned the four a.m. Uh, I saw Catherine Bat uh, on uh, Twitter said she asked Emma Hayes yesterday whether the league needs to be better at scheduling these games for teams in Europe because Chelsea got back like you mentioned 4 a.m. on Thursday from from Spain played at 12 the only team to play on Saturday in the WSL doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense the men are on international break you could have scheduled this game Sunday no problem uh, but apparently Emma said you would think uh, you would think they would do that but maybe they want a different winner this year uh, with a wry smile I like so. that I like that <laughs> I love Emma. She's so great, and uh, it's but it's kind of true. Like, why why is that the scheduling? Why why are you doing that? Why why is this team playing? But it, to the players, it didn't seem like it mattered all that much at all. No, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that Real Madrid game. But there was probably a couple of things that happened in that game that gave us some fuel for today. It didn't go exactly how we wanted. There were some really awful uh, official decisions. Um, and it just felt like whenever we have a game like that, um, we respond. We respond quickly. And despite the fact that we were tired, that Emma you know, rotated the squad, she brought in six different people, um, and Bright wasn't even in the back four. We just, it was business as usual. <laughs> doesn't matter who's playing, who's on the pitch. We just go about as we always do. The game plan doesn't change, even if the players do. And I think that's just so impressive. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make because this is the point of having a big squad. You know, the yep. the, the chatter from everybody over the summer was, why are Chelsea signing all these players? Well, for this, for weeks like this, where you have three games in basically the span of, what, six days, and you're going to need to rotate the squad. It's still early in all the competitions. It's very difficult. So Musevich was in goal. We talked about her last episode. Didn't know if we would see her, but here she is. Uh, it was a Melda Carter partnership mm. in central defense. Very interesting one. If Parise got back in the game at, at right back, Neve Charles again cannot be supplanted. Is just Chelsea's <laughs> left back should be England's left back. Uh, and then the midfield, I'm kind of looking at Fat Mob and also what, what Google posts here. They have us in a four-one-four-one. I don't necessarily believe that, but I'm just going to go ahead and give you the midfield three uh, as I saw it. It was Sophie Engel. Kind of staying deep. She swapped a lot with Aaron Cuthbert. Uh, Cuthbert would come deep quite a bit as well. Um, and then Shokanuskin was there as well, which I think she had a great game. Uh, and then we had Lauren James on the left, kind of covering for Guro, who that had typically been Jesse Fleming. But now Lauren James pops up on the left 
Aggie Beaver Jones gets her first start, a debut at Stanford Bridge as well, which was amazing to see. Uh, and of course, we meant, as you mentioned, the goal. And then Sam Kerr up top. When you saw the lineup and how it trotted out, what were your thoughts? I think I knew there would be some rotation, but usually in the in the past, it's been rotation where we're not entirely pleased because we haven't previously had the personnel to to make up these games where there's gaps. We've had to to seriously miss out in some areas or force players to play in positions they don't want to play in. But looking at today, I mean, like all of the growth that Carter has made in the last six months during the World Cup, now feeling strong enough to play in a centre back pairing with other with another centre back in this case, Marin Mielder. Looking at our midfield, having the ability to play either, as you say, in interchangeably, Casper or or Ingle, Val Nuskin, who's been profiled for that sort of further attacking role, she can come in and drop in at any time, but she has the, the ability to play more defensively as well. And then finally in a position where we could, you know, rotate Sam Kerr and she was playing today, but I, I never felt like if she wasn't, I'd be like upset or annoyed because as we saw today, Aggie Beaver Jones can do it all. If Mia Fisher was in there, she can do it all. Maybe we don't need a striker. Maybe we just need a Lauren James. Just duplicate her a couple of times and put her around the pitch and <laughs> and that works as well. So I think in the past I've been worried or uncertain, but I feel this season Emma is really taking that out of the game because we can be sure of the players on the pitch. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. So let's talk about the goals uh, because it was a Lauren James hat trick, as you said. It was an incredible display from her. We know what she can do. We know how she is. She's completely, I think Kiva O'Neill posted like, how do you mark Lauren James? And the answer is pretty much you don't. Uh, I think you either (laughs) have to just hope that she doesn't execute perfectly uh, for a highlight reel, for you to be stuck in a highlight reel, or you have to foul her. And Liverpool chose option A. And so they were in a lot of highlights from Lauren James. (laughs) She scored the first goal of the match, which, you know, I'll be honest. I was like, okay, that settles the team a bit. And then that Jess Carter mistake with Shanice Van de Sanden, which is a throwback name. I was like, wow, uh, gets gets in there and doesn't, I mean, she tries to, she, she waits patiently, which I thought was really smart by her. I mean, she's a veteran player, very good. Um, and she tries to cut the ball in and then Chelsea just has so many bodies there. They end up bundling the ball across the own line. I think that own goal was given to Jess Carter as well. So that's like a compounding the mistake that she made higher up the pitch. Uh, that let Van de Sanden in in the first place. And at that point, when it was 1-1, I was like, oh, here we go at Liverpool again. Yeah, and there's, you, you get that feeling that it's it's one of those games at the bridge, you know, where we've had issues in the past. And is it happening again? And, and remembering back to this is the same team that really pegged back Arsenal on the opening day of the WSL. Um, you know, they won that game. They've been looking strong in the league. I think they were, only, they were before this game five points behind us. And yeah, you do get that feeling and it's, it seems ridiculous to feel because there's so much depth in our squad and in the attacking element. You think, how can that be? There is no way that we aren't outscoring these guys, but you still feel that uncertainty. So I, I, I think I can understand how you were feeling and I felt it a little bit as well, but I just knew, especially they were playing such a high line. Like it's, it's, it should be a crime to play that high of a line against Lauren James because the, the sort of the speed at which she was, she was getting in behind their back four. And I, I even looked at the, her second goal, I could see them stepping up and it was it was bad. I mean, there's no other way to explain it. Their offside trap was just not, wasn't trapping anyone, let alone Lauren James. 
So I just, I knew that a goal would be coming and I knew that we would get over them, around them, through them somehow. Um, but at the same time, you still have that that little bit of doubt, I think. Yeah, when it's a, when it's a team like Liverpool, who's, like you said, had a, had a good start to the season. We know what happened in the opening game last season. Don't want to bring it up, but I, I was actually really <laughs> mad here uh, in the States at, at halftime. They showed highlights of that game and I was like, I nobody wants to see that right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're just really bringing up those those old memories. It's not even like a good game as well. We we really struggled in that game and we ended up losing two one. Um, yeah, it was so, just a bunch of penalties and it was just like like that that game's not a game to recap right now. Like get out, get it out of here. So that was that was annoying. But but yeah, we we didn't have to really worry about it because what uh, about oh ten minutes after the own goal, Aggie Beaver Jones scores at Stamford Bridge. That's just an incredible thing. It was a great Lauren James assist too, because when she booted the ball, I was like, that's one of those that just floating in the air. And I was like, okay, that's probably going to go out behind for a goal kick. And then it started dropping and it was still in play. And then I saw Aggie making the run and I was like, oh, we got a chance. And then uh, just a great header. Yeah. And it's one of those, like you say, it was a real floater, even though she hit, like James hit the ball pretty hard and she collected yeah. it. And, she, you know, there was pace on the on her when she received the ball. She took all of the pace off. And I think that was slightly confusing for the defenders because you suddenly become unsure of where that ball is going. Is it going to, where is it going to drop? Um, what's happening? And that is really smart from her. I'm, I'm guessing it's intentional because it, that level of sort of doubt and uncertainty is, I think, what caused the defence, the Liverpool defence to kind of spray out and they didn't know that Aggie was coming in behind. And the header as well, like again, because at that point, it's all down to technique, you know, how she hits it and into the ground away from where the Liverpool keeper yeah. can actually get a, a fingerprint or even anything on it. It was smart. It was it was, you know, an intelligent move from the point at which the ball left James's foot to where it was in the back of the net. And I just thought four and four now. It's it's amazing what support from academy level all the way through up to, to team, the first team can really do for a player. And I'm so glad she started today because I think that, you know, this could be big for her. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm super happy for her and I'm just excited for the player that she's becoming. I mean, she's super young when mm-hmm. she just turned 20 and she is great already like she you can see the talent well I I shouldn't say great already I know this is a Chelsea podcast (laughs) I'm trying to like keep myself calm but she's very good I mean it's great to see not only academy products I mean we talked about this a lot on the men's side as well you kind of get attached to these academy products and when you see one break through such a difficult first team to break through I mean look at all the players that Chelsea have especially in attack that's a lot of players to break through so you're given a chance to start at Stamford Bridge, you know, at a club you've been at for a very long time. And she comes up with a great performance. I mean, it wasn't just that goal. Like you said, she's been on a roll for like four games in a row now. I'm like just super happy for her. And she just looks like, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I know that all the chatter with, with Emma, you know, this being Emma's last season, and people looking back and saying, okay, well, she got us Kat Macario, she got me official, she got Shokanuskin, she got Ashley Lawrence in. Like, that's a great way to set up a team for like the future. But also, she's like, the gifts are still coming because <laughs> I've just injected Aggie with a little bit of that Cobham Super Serum. And now she's like, she's ready for this first team action. And we're seeing it now. And it's really, really fun. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly the path to go down, especially when you have a squad that's so padded out almost with stars. 
you'd think usually there wouldn't wouldn't be an opportunity for someone like her to come in. But it's clearly MSC is something in her from a growth point of view as well. We've seen what she can do with players. I mean, Neem Charles is another example. Um, oh, but this is massive. this is one of this is one of our own though. You know, this isn't someone we poached from a different club. It's um, Aggie's come through the, the talent pipeline to the first team, and I think it's it's meant to be almost. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to keep watching her development this season and throughout because she is she's turning into a hell of a player. Um, so it went into halftime two one, and then after halftime, it was really important to get that next goal. You know, it's either it's either going to be two two or it's going to be three one. If it's three one, you're like, okay, good, we got this. And you also don't want it to be three one at like you know seventy minutes because then then weird things can happen. Like you're still comfortable, mm-hmm. but then it's like it's taken a long time. We didn't have to worry about that. About 11 minutes after uh, Lauren James gets her second goal, it was another great, great setup. Uh, Sam Kerr, I believe, assisted this one with a nice little header across uh, to Lauren James. And again, just Lauren James on the left side. I, right foot, left foot doesn't really seem to matter. Just smashed it. And and there we go. We're up 3-1. Yeah, and it, it when you watch the, the highlight back of that goal, it, it's like the Liverpool defense just freezes because they don't know what to do. They think, well, you know, it's it, it, they think maybe she's on her weaker foot, but no, she doesn't have a weaker foot. She just has, you know, she's the ability to score with either foot, and and just be clinical with it and efficient. And I think that again, there, there's another moment where the Liverpool defense has been, I like to use the word bamboozled, or like they've just, you know, they've not known how to react or how to deal with it. And I think that's been the case the whole game through, not knowing. How to to keep her contained, as you say, apart from fouling her, but that that only gets you so far, really. The angle at which she struck this ball is wild mm-hmm. to me because she was just a couple yards inside, like the left, like top corner of the box. You're not really supposed to have an angle to shoot from there <laughs> and to have like the power to get it across all the way across. Like that's a lot of distance before it has to actually come close to the goalkeeper. And I don't honestly like. I'm not a goalkeeping expert, but I'm also like when a shot is struck that low, that hard, it doesn't really matter when it comes from that angle. Like, could the goalkeeper have done better? Maybe, but I just think that was a really difficult shot to stop, especially if you watch it again. The ball bounces like right in front of the keeper. And that's exactly what you want to do. Like, that's just pure technique. It was beautiful. And maybe she wasn't like just like her defenders. Maybe wasn't expecting that to happen. Like uh, Lauren James has a ball pretty far out in a tight angle. She's known for coming to the byline. She's going to try and, and get her way into a box. And maybe there's going to be a player who taps it in, or there's some kind of goal mass scramble. And um, that's usually the case. You know, her footwork is is key. But sometimes she doesn't need footwork. Sometimes she doesn't need to dribble. Sometimes she just hits and it goes in. And you yeah. just you just got to take it. You got to you got to take your L. Well, you know, quite literally <laughs> take your L. <laughs> Liverpool took a lot of L's today. Uh, another one came in the form of Lauren James again. She completed her hat trick this time. I want to talk about this because this was fun. Connorid, who scored that great goal against Aston Villa, where it's just like, okay, that's the confidence we want to see from you. Ever since then, she's been like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. Like she just comes on the pitch. She she subs in in the 64th minute and assists Lauren James for a hat trick in the 64th minute. I mean, you can't really get more instant, immediate impact than that. And it was just another one of those where she just takes off, gets the ball, cuts back on the defender, and perfect, just perfect. It was great, a great uh, service, and also just a great move by her. She's, I I love it. I just love when players grow in confidence like this, and you can just see it. We, we there was like a period where we saw her when she first got here. It was like, oh, she's direct, she's good. This is something that's kind of going to pressure defenses. When you get a, a player like this who's very fast, very good at like direct attacking, it can change the just change tempo of the game. You know, you're doing a lot of passing, and then all of a sudden you have to deal with this super direct threat. And then she kind of simmered a little bit. 
And we weren't really sure, like, was she trying to maybe change her game a little bit? Was she trying to be a more patient player? And it was like, no, your job is to go in there and wreck shit. <laughs> That's what she, she seemed to be like, okay, this is what I do. I'm just going to keep doing that. And it's been great. She wasn't simmering. She was like uh, taking a break between leveling up. <laughs> she was like <laughs> maybe just hibernation, sort of temporary hibernation before leveling up again. <laughs> um, and then coming back to see, as you say, wreck shit. But that, that's exactly what she is capable of doing. She is so destructive and strong. And especially with the, the second assist when she came off. Um, and I just thought that that one was the more powerful one because it was just straight through. Like it was so clean. The ball that she played straight through to Lauren James, I just felt that there's nothing Liverpool could have done to stop that. It was, it's one of those passes where you think maybe your defence could have done more, but she just comes on and she knows exactly what to do with the ball. She's so powerful and strong. And you're right, she doesn't need time to settle down because whatever's happening off the pitch, whether that's in training or, you know, her, her, her work with Emma, She's reached a point where there's no delay period. And I think we've talked about that for some players. They come on and need a little bit of time to adjust the pitch, but she's not one of those players. Um, it sounds a bit cliche, but she is your impact up. But in every sort of sense of what that phrase means, she comes on and immediately does what she needs to do. And when you have one of those, you can't, you know, as the opposition, you really can't do much again. It's just like, how do you even, how do you even stop someone like that? Um, so it's scary for other teams, but I feel I'm really glad that we have one of those because I've had have the feeling we're going to need it, um, especially in the Champions League. Yeah, and I I love her coming in as a, as a sub because it's it's like it sets the tone. It lets the like like lets players know, especially tired legs, tired defenses. You've had to chase Chelsea around all the time, and then all of a sudden here comes this player that just wants to do nothing but run at you, force you to track runs behind the line, and all of that. It's just it's just great. And basically, she did that exact same thing for the fifth goal, which I thought. But honestly, I think her like this is this is pure confidence right here because, yeah, it was a ball played in behind the line. She's first to it because she's quick as hell. But for real, it was it was her composure and the technique to to spot Nuskin out. That ball was almost like it wasn't quite like a full goal right and pass where it like beats multiple defenders from like way out. She was, of course, in the box much closer, but she still had to place that ball perfectly. And there were a couple defenders in between her and Nuskin. And the way that she bent that ball, it was not a shot. That was absolutely a cross. And it went right to Nuskin's foot, who I thought Nuskin really deserved that goal as well. Yeah, and I, I think you are right about not just the pace that she has with precision, the passing, knowing exactly where to pass. We had a couple of movements throughout the game that came through that, exploring those width areas, and then just any ball in the middle would cause some kind of chaos. And I know in one sense it went against us because we conceded that own goal in a similar fashion, but it just felt like as long as the ball was being played short to feet in the box, um, there was a chance of some kind of action that could result in a goal. And I think she knew that much. She knew that players would be arriving and we've become really good at, at doing that, that sense of almost awareness, spatially that there will be a player arriving if I put this ball in this area. Um, and she was smart enough to know exactly where to do it, even in the intensity of that moment. And like I said, it's scary. It's scary to see, but I'm glad that she's on our team. You know what I love about Shoka Nuskin? Just like how comfortable she looks in midfield in multiple setups, you know, like you mm -hmm. mentioned, wasn't really like I thought when we thought she was going to be like, that's our defensive midfielder. And Emma's like, no, she's going to play everywhere. And so <laughs> when she's on the pitch, we kind of see that she has the ability to do a, a number of things like this game. It wasn't really about her sitting back and composed passing. It was like, get the ball forward. Let's attack Liverpool's defense. 
which is, I think, a great lesson from the last time that we played Liverpool. You know, if you, you know, knock the ball around, they were able to keep themselves organized defensively. They're good at that. When you put them under pressure, when you get people running, when you get multiple players running uh, behind the line, which is why I think the game looked kind of chaotic at, at times. But it was just like making sure you win those duels in midfield, those second balls and everything, and then get the ball forward. That was what I think really struggled. Liverpool really struggled with that. And I think one of those main reasons was Shokanuskin. So she, I, I, got a, I, got a, I got a question for you. Okay. Shokanuskin, she had nine duels. I'm looking at on FOTMOB. She had nine duels. Do you want to guess how many of those nine that she won? I feel like anything other than saying nine would be criminal, but... Um... <laughs> Considering that uh, that Liverpool's midfield really struggled to to stop our counter in any way, I'm, I'm gonna gonna go with eight just to Ooh. just to see. I you know what? I wish you, you should have backed yourself like Connor did because nine oh, is the God, exact nine. answer. She was nine of nine. Wait. She didn't lose a single go- duel. Three ground duels won. Six aerial duels won. Just immense in midfield. It's a beast, like physically as well. I think that's the other thing. We're profiling players who are yeah. athletic and skilled, but also physical in ways that we needed. We talked for so many seasons about needing a physical presence in midfield to, to outmuscle other players and to, to stop counters and stuff. And she's doing all of that. And it's just crazy to see her, her evolution. Yeah, it's kind of rude to have Nuskin and Cuthbert in the same midfield. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like you. I, I feel like as like any sort of defender, like I don't want the ball. Like y'all just gonna hit me. Like, <laughs> nobody wants this. <laughs> yeah, they're they're great. This was a really fun performance. Like I'm I'm happy for the team for this. Like I said, it could have gone a number of ways. Uh, given the late travel, midweek game, playing really quick on a Saturday. I mean, basically their full their their only full day since their Champions League match against Real Madrid was Friday. And then they had to play. I mean, and that's basically like get yourself ready for game day because you have an early kickoff on Saturday. So like this this was a hell of a performance, I think, and a statement, I think, to the rest of the league, because I honestly feel like most other teams especially title contenders, probably would have struggled. And unfortunately for them, they don't have to worry about Champions League football because they didn't make it. So Chelsea are the only one. And it feels like we're just going to have to go through this. It doesn't feel like the most fair thing, but I'm glad we're in all of the competitions. And when we can do this, it must be like this team is going to be very difficult to chase down. And I think that's why I'm a went and made all those signings because she knew that we'd get to a, a point, a phase like we did last season, large, last March, I think we coined it March Madness, um, where we'd need to have squad rotations quite often without sacrificing quality. And we're in a position where we can do that. And I, I don't know how much of Liverpool's prep went into the idea that um, we would maybe possibly be affected by that midweek game. It didn't go well for us, how that would affect us mentally and physically. Um, it seemed like they were trying to press really hard, but actually they just, as I said before, they struggled to play the offside trap and left spaces open that we were just easily able to pass through. So I don't know whether they prepped for us or whether we were just really, really good. But either way, it's it's a big, big win in circumstances that most teams would have probably not been able to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, now, now we're going to get into that Real Madrid match because I think this win was great. I mean, a 5-1 win over Liverpool, you know, at Stamford Bridge, that's great. That's exactly what you want. But you have to add the context into what mm-hmm. happened and the last game that they played. And I think, you know, Emma was clearly frustrated with the way that match ended. Um, it was against, if, if you don't know, it was a 2-2 <laughs> game. 
uh, with Real Madrid, which was not actually a 2-2 game. <laughs> it should have been 3-1. Chelsea win. Should have been comfortable. Wasn't. Real Madrid were not good in that game. Um, their first goal was a massive deflection, and then they were gifted a penalty. And that's extremely frustrating. And Chelsea's game winner, which would have put them up 3-2, was ruled out because of they tried at first, the flag went up for offside. <laughs> then it was Sam Kerr was interfering, but she was nowhere near the goalkeeper. And it was just, it was just an absolute calamity of refereeing decisions. And I think on multiple shows, they've talked about it. So it's not just like a Chelsea slant thing. It was just really bad. Should not be the standard of, of the Women's Champions League at all. So I don't know, like, I don't want to get into a VAR conversation or anything, because honestly, the way that that is, it's not perfect either. But there needs to be some mechanism to like make sure these results don't go this way. Um, so what, let, let's save that conversation for just a second because I want to stick on what you brought up. How Emma turned that around in a matter of what forty eight hours almost is that's really disappointing. Said you know everybody knew that the officiating was horrible. Chelsea should have won that game. They start their Champions League campaign with just a point instead of three, and that can you know. Given the group, that can have consequences, but you still have to get your focus right on the league to perform. And yeah, big squad helps, but still some of the, a lot of those players that played were still in that game. So like Neve Charles played, Jess Carter played against Real Madrid as well. Shoka Nuskin played as well. Sam Kerr played that game. So like there were still quite a few players selected. So credit to them and their fitness to be able to turn that around, but also credit to Emma and the staff for being able to like shift the focus, shed that game completely and come out with that like it didn't even look like it affected them it's almost like that game didn't even happen and i wonder how much i know we talk a lot about um how negative sometimes those short durations can be but i wonder how much you look at the flip side and how actually it's good because you don't have to think too much um looking at completely different sport mma we look at fighters who take on fights in short uh, training camps like 11 days or 17 days even recently tom aspinall who is the the interim heavyweight champion and he talked about this about how it's great because while everyone's sitting there saying that i might struggle actually i don't have to think because there's no pressure a big fight that has uh you know a month's build up or two months build up compared to a fight that has 11 days build up mentally the pressure is is completely different and i just feel that maybe that's something we should talk about obviously there is a pressure to perform when you transition from one competition to the next from the champions league to wsl but but a lot of those existing players you're right in saying it's a complete mentality shift um it's almost like you know you don't read like for that duration of time 48 hours you probably never stop thinking about playing you're just it's a transition it's one seamless thing you just go into training and then there's another game it's so short so i think it's possibly been a good thing for them that this was such a close turnaround or a quick turnaround because they probably were able to maintain the focus and also the whatever mental energy they had from that game whether it was frustration or regret and pull that into this game and i think that's why the this the scoreline here was so like the the gap was so big because i think probably there were some players who had some energy to expend that they weren't able to do against Real Madrid that they were able to do against Liverpool yeah and i will say however I, I hear your point, and I think it's a valid one. But I'll say, if anybody from the Barclays or the FA is listening, don't take that advice. Don't schedule <laughs> these games like this no, again. No, I don't. 
I know. I think it's obviously I, I, it's bad. It's bad they're doing this. I'd like, I'd like to be clear about that. But I just I think that in this example, it's worked. But but generally, let's let's not do that because we could have yeah. still, we could have we could have had a stronger squad today. Maybe we would have scored more or less. But it shouldn't be in a position where we need to have such a like a big squad, a team with a, with less uh, financial resource, or you know, a smaller a squad would have struggled, and that would be unfair. You know, we're only in a position of of authority or luxury, I should say, because of the money we have. So. Um, it's not fair for other teams. We're profiting from it because we've got a large squad and we've made a bunch of summer signings, but it's not fair in, on a general level and we shouldn't be doing that to players. It's, it's happened to work out in this example. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you. Yeah, no, I I, I know you do. I was kind of being, being, being a little cheeky there, but but yeah, it is... It's a frustrating thing. I'm glad like Chelsea was able to handle it, but you know, like don't do that. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. this is not the way you should do the, you should schedule these games. Clearly you could have put somebody else on this Saturday and Chelsea could have had a Sunday game like everybody else aside from Liverpool obviously we played. Everybody else in the WSL has games on Sunday. Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Okay. Um do you I know I went on my little diatribe about the refereeing. In, in the Real Madrid in the in the Champions League match, do, do you have what 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 is your, what was your reaction? What are what are your thoughts on just like that entire debacle? I'm glad you asked because I've I prepared something internally. I know I didn't. Um, I posted it straight away onto Twitter and I didn't have to say anything. I just said there are no words and I posted a picture and boy did that upset some people. Um, <sighs> the of most course. upset person was a referee who works in English professional women's football with a burner account um and it said like that and he said I was spreading misinformation and I was like it's only misinformation because the referees didn't tell us what was happening that's not misinformation that's <laughs> that that starts that even Emma Hayes didn't know like yeah nobody knew what had happened I, there was two scenarios here and both of them were just as like absurd as each other either Neem Childs is offside or you're saying that Sam Kerr is interfering with the goalkeeper when those two were miles apart Both either way <laughs> either way we're 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 confused here um but then they were like it's oh it's your job as a journalist to spread um to figure out the facts and I was like okay yeah when when the ref if the referees don't know if they're the one making the mistakes and how can we be responsible for that or accountable we're allowed to have conversations and discussions I wasn't the only person who tweeted that PBC the Guardian Athletic Sky Sports all of them had tweeted that picture um and it's not about spreading misinformation it's it's just the absurdity that that there's a lack of clarity and a lack of communication something has obviously gone wrong there um and I felt really really upset um the same way I'd felt when it happened on the men's side uh, Liverpool playing Spurs and it was Luis Diaz whose goal was disallowed for offside because and when you hear back because they eventually released the the VAR sort of footage there's a lack of communication there's a lack of clarity simply from people not talking to each other and if that's happening in places where technology is improved and vast and accessible then what do you think is happening at a level where there's no VAR there must I don't know what the communication was like there or what had even happened are we ever going to find out it's one thing like on the men's side where it's like we eventually found out and you know what some people find out and they're still annoyed which is just not helpful but at least I would know at least I knew what what had gone wrong in that situation I think the people who ask for more beyond that that's when you're getting into like some muddy waters where it's like what what more can happen we have to learn from mistakes but I don't even know what's gone wrong here I'm speculating and if people are getting angry for us speculating then the issue is the fact that we have to speculate Right. At least that's what I think. No, I, I think that's completely well said and, and deserved. It's not misinformation. We weren't given information, so we have no <laughs> other choice to, <laughs> to talk about what we got. But like you also mentioned, especially that decision, 
There are only two things it could have been. Offside, which is ridiculous because Neve Charles was way onside, or you're you're flagging Sam Kerr for interfering with the goalkeeper, which is which is really ridiculous because she was <laughs> far away from the keeper anyway. So like it none of it made any sense. And I don't care which one it is, it's a very poor decision. And on the back of awarding a penalty for a foul that occurred at, at least five, six feet out of outside the box, it just it made no I saw I saw uh, a supporter on um on twitter posted like of a um of a screenshot of the divot where <laughs> jesse fleming went in and first of all i don't even know how much contact there even was it really looked like a it could have been a dive to me like i would have loved to see a bit of a slow motion replay from like an opposite angle but even if you give that foul it was nowhere near inside the box and it was just so frustrating <sighs> It's it's really tricky because I you know I remember remember the first game of the season against Spurs when we had that ghost goal. It didn't affect us in that game, and maybe yeah. there was less uproar about it then. But clearly, and I don't even like forget talking about VAR, but clearly there's something happening on a communication level that's not working out. People aren't talking to each other or in the right way, and that much was evident even in the Luis Diaz case. Um, I'm not talking about just VAR, but in the conversation they had, language language was the problem. Something was said that was taken out of context. They didn't use the right words, and so it's like it's it's frustrating. Um, and you just feel like the more and more it happens, people will clamor for VAR, but that shouldn't be the conversation. The conversation should be how we are dealing with this on the ground as it happens. Um, and, it, you know, it should have been 3-1. It should have been 3-1. And that's what upsets me because I know that in the last couple of years, we've struggled a little bit in the Champions League group stages. And we, the year that we went out in the group stages, it was down to a couple of points. So I hope this doesn't yep. affect us. Um, you know, I really, really don't think it will, but there's always a case in which it might. And that's that's enough. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing is that you just look at refereeing decisions and refereeing decisions like you can miss a call. But when mm-hmm. a, a clear 3-1 game becomes 2-2 because of two really bad calls, that really is frustrating. And it has a significant impact on the rest of the group. You know, it, it completely changes things when you have three points and one team has none versus now two teams have one point. And the team that has one of the teams that has a point didn't deserve it. And so like, this is a problem. And I just like, I don't, I, again, I don't want to get into the VAR discussion because I think that's not a complete fix for everything. I would like almost like a V is there like diet VAR? Is there something that exists to where when, when things like this happen, we, somebody can just be like really quick and say, Nope, that was outside the box. There it is. Or Nope, whatever you're trying to call here, offside or interference to the goalkeeper. None of those are accurate goal stands. Like just really, really quick reviews because I, the whole like three to five minute walking around and all the freeze frame drawn lines on the screen and all that. Like, I, I don't want to get to that level. And honestly, I think it, a lot of the stadiums, especially in the group stages, you can't do that anyway, uh, because I don't think they're equipped for that level of, of sophisticated VAR. So like it would be having it for some and not others also creates an advantage slash disadvantage depending on calls that go in, in, in each game. But like they can't be this bad. Like you just can't like the way the referee, the the assistant just pulled up the flag with full confidence. I'm like, what are you seeing? What did your eyes tell you? You should not be confident in any call you're trying to make right now. It was just so stupid. Yeah. And and that's the other thing. I don't think there's enough um, 
we don't have enough people that can see things from d- different angles, right? We are forced to go to VAR sometimes because there's yeah. areas in the pitch in which players aren't there. And they do this really well in NFL and I will say NBA maybe. They have multiple referees, uh, officials on the pitch. They come together to have conversations on the pitch and the decision is known straight away. And they tell us what the decision is and why. And we, we, we try all that in the World Cup and I thought it was really good because often we don't even know what, what, is, what is happening. It worked in the World Cup. I don't know what the point of that was. It hasn't been rolled out anywhere else, but that's that's often the issue without like having VAR. What if there were just more people actually seeing what was going on? I don't know. How, I won't say off the top of my head. I know there's like a, a, a referee, there's a one on each side, there's a fourth official. Yeah. Is that fourth official just spends their time being stuck between two managers who are like yep. complaining in your ear? Imagine trying to focus on a penalty <laughs> and you've got Jürgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta in your ear like complaining about something. You're working really hard to focus. Um, so it's just maybe that's the case maybe we need more people on the pitch um just a kind of bit of a rogue idea um but i just you know can't keep happening like this and it's not even like slightly contentious it's anyone on on you know in the stadium would have seen it so if you're on the pitch then you've kind of got no excuse yeah and that's my thing the center referee needs to do something there like you you need to see these things you need to see that you need to override those decisions you can't just go with it you're on the pitch you're in the middle of the action you have better angles than some people and you could see things so what are you calling no that's not right what are you calling what are you flagging for no that's not right i was here i had this perspective that's what you're supposed to do that's why you're the center ref (laughs) you know you have the ultimate authority to make those decisions so for me it falls back to that as well But in discussing this, you did make a distinction between performance and results. And I honestly think this is probably one of the things that Chelsea used to get the team ready for Liverpool today. Because if you think back at that that Real Madrid game, yes, the result was unfortunate. It was annoying. It was super frustrating. They dominated that game, though. Performance-wise, Real Madrid looked completely outmatched. Like... The only, like, where I can discredit Chelsea is you got to score more goals, <laughs> you know? Like, you got to put the ball in the back of the net when you're dominating a team that much. I know it's a way, and I know it's, it's you know, the travel and all of that, but, like, Chelsea were all over them. 20 shots, eight on target, to, to Real Madrid's four shots, two on target, 61% possession. They only had 39%. They couldn't do a thing. Thing. They were super bad. They 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 got really fortunate in a lot of ways. There were a couple, you know, pretty good saves from me. So she was also very good coming out of her box. She came out early a number of times when I thought, okay, this is going to be a goal. But like, I think the ability to focus on performance over results is important. And if you look at the performance, ignore it. Ignore the scoreline. Just look at the performance. That was a dominating performance and a hell of a statement to make in the Champions League. I think you make a really good point. I think we should just accept or even expect the fact that something weird is going to happen. Um, you know, there's going to be weird official calls, handballs, penalties. We just have to score more than as much as we can. And I think there's probably times this season where I have, I've had that question in my head. Are we scoring enough um, in terms of the number of shots we have on goal and the, the consistency at which we're attacking? Maybe that was a game in which we have to look at ourselves and say, there were two decisions that went against us, but do we have the chance to to still put that game away? And and that's a separate conversation um, compared to saying that the game was affected by two bad decisions by the referee. So maybe, maybe, but um, at the same time, to turn it around, like going back to your original point, to turn around from that and 
the chaos of that night and not just the travel but what happened on the pitch and to still be at Stamford Bridge um, in front of our home fans and score five against a team that are doing really well in the league I think that has just got to be the 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 level the standard which we set for ourselves now if we can do that if we can turn things around like that then we should be doing that in games too yeah and I think ultimately that's the lesson you know if you play like that against Paris FC and Hawken you're going to get three points from those games like of course, different opposition. They're going to provide different challenges, each of them. So you're going to have to be careful uh, to, to adjust for those. But if you're able to play like that, with that level of intensity and that much domination, you're going to score the goals that are going to get you the three points from both of those games. So I think to me, that's the lesson. And they showed that, proved that to themselves. You know, obviously, Liverpool aren't Real Madrid, but we dominated that game in a similar fashion and scored five goals. <laughs> you know, so like that to me is the lesson. So Chelsea has Paris FC up. It is a home game. Uh, November 23rd is when that is. I believe that's 8 p.m. kickoff, uh, 3 p.m. here in the States. Paris FC, interesting. Interesting team because I actually, I mean, they're the team that knocked out. What was it? I always get this confused. It was um, it was Arsenal Manchester, and Manchester United. United. Yeah. Right. So I expected more from them in their first game. Lose. But Hawken really yeah. like like they they were on them and i didn't really it didn't to me look like paris fc were like as strong a competition as i thought they were when they given the way that they played against manchester united and arsenal no i think they they seem to struggle really with the the high press system and that's something that's a little yeah. rewarding to see because i think that's something we really honed over the last couple of years um and if we can play like that against them then there, there's no there's no reason for us to feel doubtful about that game even though we did we have felt doubtful but it was quite a sharp performance you're right in saying and i think whether they were trialing out new tactics or whether press is something that you know that's they've always struggled with if that's if that's the case and i expect Emma to put out a really strong aggressive starting lineup um I think the the pivot of of Ingle and Cuthbert really works for us, but Nuskin has got to start. Um, I think that Kirby should start as well. The the link between Lauren James, Sam Kerr, and and Van Kirby is so strong. They just run rings around defenses, and I think that Hacken, um, sorry, Paris FC will have a really tough time in keeping those three in check positionally and spatially. Yeah, I'm hoping that's the case because this is. This is a tough game. Like like I said, the, the pressure is on because of the way the Liverpool the the Real Madrid game went. So you definitely need to get three points from this game. But the good news is it looks like you can, uh, given where pa- Paris FC are vulnerable. But also knowing they're not going to be g- given what they did in the qualifying rounds, losing back to back games in your first like group stage matches is not going to feel great for them. So I'm expecting a very different Paris FC than what Hawken faced. But it's going to be up to Chelsea to kind of manage that. Uh, so that's on November 23rd. And then Sunday, hey, look, we don't have a Saturday game. It's an actual Sunday game. Isn't that great? Uh, against Leicester <laughs> City. And it's a home game uh, against Leicester City uh, before there's a little bit of a, an international break. And then the first game back after the international break is away at Arsenal. Interesting. Anything to say about this run of games before? Well, really just the Paris FC, Leicester City, because it is a, a bit not as back to back as what this was, but still they're both at home, which is great. But, you know, it, it, what are your vibes? What are your thoughts on these games? Well, if we're doing unofficial predictions. Uh, um, not I think unofficial. We'll... They're official. This is official. Frank Kirby's <laughs> Fight Club. These are official right. predictions. Right. <laughs> D- didn't know if you were doing them this week. Thought we might skip them this oh, week. Oh, no, um, I'm not. You are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we'll win both games. Um, I think that 
against Paris FC, I think we're going to play a really strong counter-attacking style um, sort of setup. I just think they really struggle with the press and Emma is known for her press. So I think that's going to be a good game against Leicester. Um, they've been a bit of a tricky side this season. They they seem to be doing well. And, you know, there was that game against Arsenal. They lost 6-2, six, six, I believe, in the end. Um, so I think they were 2-0 up. <laughs> they were 2-0 up. And I think their problem is just, again, the, the athletic element of keeping up with a team that is so strong and consistent with how they set up um especially having a really strong attacking midfield that's interchangeable and um often the sort of attacking midfield players can dive out into wide play wide areas i think they were struggling with arsenal in in that sense so i think we're going to win that one as well if i'm if i'm talking about score lines against paris fc uh slightly rotated squad i'm going to go with two nil i think we'll have rested some players and some players will return so i think both those games we might have some sort of weird i won't say weird but maybe sort of change lineups and i think against leicester we might see more of a sort of integrated side starting 11 uh i think i think it'll be a high scoring game and i I think we might concede as well just because i think that leicester have, have been really well have done really well this season and those two goals against arsenal were the product of a of a team that can really stretch back fours um so I'm kind of a little bit worried about how we might set up especially with Millie Bright not in the conversation today uh so I think I will go with 3-1 yeah okay. so 2-0 3-1 still I'm gonna still assume Millie's just being rested because especially so. so. after, after the match there's a really fun video of her, Sam Kerr, and Aaron Cuthbert <laughs> yeah, uh, celebrating. And Aaron Cuthbert is doing, basically, she's ran herself ragged, so she's exhausted. And so she just has Aaron Cuthbert hop up piggyback ride time uh, <laughs> on Millie Bright, which is, I mean, Millie's a monster. She's great. She's absolutely great. And it's just like a piggyback ride for Millie Bright. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Be great. I'm just thinking, like, the. She's quite tall though, so if you're you're quite yeah, high up, you get a good saying. it's a good vantage point. I'm just well, I didn't say anything because I was sort of imagining <laughs> it in my head. <laughs> I don't know. I've oh. never had one before. Oh well, that's got to tell you. What, what's Nate doing? He's got to get you a piggyback ride. It'll be fun. Do it. Um, all right. Anything else to say about this before we get out of here? About, about the piggyback ride, or just in, in uh, general, anything in general. in general? If you have more on piggyback rides, please. Just there's a lot of there's a lot of different muscles you're using. There. I mean, like I feel like the person <laughs> on the back as well. You, you it's not you. You're not just chilling there. You've got to clench your thighs and everything. So it's not. I don't now. I'm I'm backing up on it. I just think it might be a bit too much physically <laughs> for me, especially really bright. She's probably expecting you to do all the work. Um, but but yeah, Millie, if you're listening, I obviously wouldn't mind. I'm just saying. I think there's there's other layers to consider. Here. <laughs> But, Did not um, expect no, I, us to get into a breakdown of piggyback rise at the end of the podcast, but hey, here we are. This is how we do it. We've um, got range, and and next week we'll be we'll be talking about more fun things. <laughs> I mean, I think what can be more fun than this? Uh, okay, <laughs> thank y'all for listening. We're going to continue to contemplate uh, all the mechanics and uh, and everything that goes into piggyback rides. But enjoy the Chelsea win, 5-1 against Liverpool. Annoying match against Real Madrid, but got a chance to turn around the Champions League this week, which we will review that plus the Leicester game because we actually have maybe a day in between. We might review the Paris FC game before. I don't know. We'll see. Up to schedules. But either way, we'll talk about both games whenever we talk to you again. Bye.